Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's February 13th, 1961, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Today in history in 1961, three amateur gem collectors pulled a mechanical gizmo out of a fossil-encrusted rock in the Southern Californian desert, which they came to believe was 500,000 years old. And excitedly, they quickly began to show it to people because if they were right, that is, if this was an example of unknown technology from many millennia before the accepted emergence of Homo sapiens, this strange object that subsequently became known as the Kosso artefact would turn everything scientists thought they knew about the history of our species on its head. Yeah, their names were Wallace Lane, Virginia Maxey and Mike Mikesell and they were co-owners of a shop called the LM&V Rockhounds Gem and Gift Shop. So on this particular day, they were hunting for stock, basically. They were looking for geodes, which are those hollow rocks that have those f- fun, colourful quartz minerals inside. If, like me, you spend a lot of time as a teenager hanging around New Age shops, you'll have seen plenty <laughs> did of them. you? I did not know that about you. Did you have a dream catcher? <laughs> yes, I did have a dream catcher, Arian. Thanks for asking. <laughs> and so that's what they were looking for, those those cool, shiny, hollow rocks. And so they'd spent the morning collecting promising looking ones. They're, they're kind of smooth, round in appearance, so you can kind of tell them if you know what you're looking for. They put them all in a bag to take home and inspect. And the next day, Mike was cutting the geodes in half using a diamond blade saw. And this particular one was totally unlike the others because it wasn't hollow. It was dense and hard to the point where it almost broke the blade. Yes. So this wasn't just any ordinary geode. I mean, by the way, how amazing to run a crystal shop in California where you can theoretically <laughs> know, just go just walking around, around by the coast and just pick yeah. up some stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible country. Anyway, what was unusual about this geode was it had what appeared to be a cylinder of porcelain inside it with a two millimetre shaft of bright metal in its centre. And then this got all three of the rockhounds talking. I love that they call themselves rockhounds. It sounds like the stars of their own animated series. <laughs> As to what could this possibly be? Was this some sort of unknown technology from many millennia before human history began? A primitive super antennae, perhaps? No. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. Spoiler alert. The internet won't have it and it's still being discussed. I mean, you know, people will be finding this episode because the Kosso artifact is still a thing that weird people Google. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, and the evidence that it was this prehistoric artifact was always thin. It basically stems from a single letter that Virginia Maxey, one of the finders, wrote that was published in the May 1961 issue of Desert Magazine, where she states, in the opinion of one trained geologist... One nameless geologist. Exactly. Never identified. It has you taken may not have at a least, degree. <laughs> it has taken at least 500,000 years for this nodule to attain its present form. And yet, when we cut it open, we discovered a man-made object. And the only other person known to inspect it... At the time was Ron Calais, a creationist, and we'll get into this more later, but creationists have a weird thing with this. He took a widely publicised photo of it as well as an x-ray. And then in 1969, it seemingly disappeared and mm. the discoverers went quiet, which a sceptic might say is not a surprising outcome when we're talking about three ordinary people who once found a piece of junk, which attracted a bunch of weirdos. But to a conspiracy-minded person, might smell like a cover-up. What's clear is that the three rock hounds themselves were inclined to be open to this kind of wiki-woo-wah, right? I don't think it was a fraud they were deceiving upon no. people. I think they were, they th- genuinely thought it could be this. I mean, Mrs. Maxey is quoted as saying, quote, it might be something that lay in a mud bed then got baked and hardened by the sun, or else it is an instrument as old as legendary Moo or Atlantis. <laughs> <So it> could <laughs> be this, could be that. Yeah. <laughs> there were two other explanations that it might have also come from prehistoric ancient astronauts. Uh, that's quite a good one. Or yeah. that human time travellers from the future had left it, you know, had come back to some point in time 500,000 years ago and had either accidentally or intentionally uh, left it behind during their visit to the past. So, you know, it sort of aligned with people who had these ideas about how the world might work. But I think that you're right. The people who pulled it out of the ground, they were just open-minded sort of Californians. Well, they were a subgenre of that. They, yeah. they were open-minded Californians who ran a crystal shop. Well, I mean, yeah. we, all know, we all know roughly yeah, the kind they, of people we're dealing with They here. wanted to believe a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't squares, guys. No. <laughs> so that makes it even more surprising that the Coso artefact was particularly embraced by, not I won't say creationists on the whole, but a subsect of creationism. I mean, it seems strange... Because on one hand, it can't be 500,000 years old if you're a creationist, right? If you Mm. think the Earth is maximum 10,000 years old. But it's true that if it were genuine, it would undermine evolution. And there is also this odd subculture within creationism that believes that the pre-flood world, you know, the flood of Noah's Ark, Mm. was this advanced lost continent, kind of identifying it with Atlantis, Atlantis Atlantis-style, you know, lost civilizations and believes that all the sedimentary layers of Earth are the result of the flood, which means anything that you find in them dates from a pre-flood world. Yes. And so one of the things that made the Coso artefact well-known was that it featured in a really popular 1977 New Agey book called Secrets of the Ancient Races by René Norbergen. And in his conclusion, he kind of refers to this whole vision. He says, because the Coso artefact was found in sedimentary rock, we must conclude that it was deposited during the Great Flood. We must. We must. What makes these artefacts significant to us is that they reveal that the antediluvians had progressed beyond mere metal production and had obviously learned how to utilise certain forms of energy, in this case electricity. Yeah, so a really interesting article on Salon that was attempting to speculate on how the New Agers who got behind this artefact could align themselves with the thinking of creationists who have completely antithetical views. But what he said is that while those people don't agree on much, they share a common energy 
enemy, and that is that they long for a discovery that would destroy the accepted chronologies of archaeology, paleontology, and history. So they're basically just people who go, this stuff that we are being fed mm. by the the sort of the conventional scientists and archaeologists is not the stuff that we need to believe. I mean, it's basically Putin's social media strategy, isn't it? Right. It's just like, <laughs> let's, let's discredit all news, yes. and then you're not sure if everything's true when, when a so-called expert tells you. And so archaeologists have evidenced that this is a case of what they call pseudo-archaeology. There's another phrase for it as well. We need a special lexicon just for this episode. <laughs> Glossary of words. So we've already had geodes and pseudo-archaeology. There's also oo-parts, out-of-place yes. artefacts. So this, this phenomenon of people saying a thing from the modern world is actually somehow ancient and that disproves the modern world or proves that people had technology years ago. This oo-part... Uh, they have shown is a 1920s spark plug that was made by Champion. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it had been suggested that the item might be a spark plug for a long time, but they'd never been able to identify exactly what kind. So people who subscribe to this so-called alternative archaeology were able to point and say either, well, then it's not a spark plug because you can't say which one it is, or even maybe it is a spark plug. Or maybe that spark plug belonged to an ancient alien race, or maybe mm. it belonged to, you know, the pre-flood people who were using spark plugs. However, it was solved, and I just love how they did it. Pierre Stromberg, he's a software manager from Washington State. He had this lifelong fascination with alien civilization theories. First, you know, as kind of a credulous kid, and then later as a debunker. He'd been researching the Coso artifacts since the 1990s, and he and some of the other fans had developed this theory that it was some kind of obscure spark plug. Then in 1999, they wrote to four leading members of the Spark Plug Collectors of America, who were instantly like, oh, this is easy. This is 1920s era champion spark plug. Mm. Here's one. And what they were used for was to, you know, spark plugs are used to ignite combustion engines. And the Coso mountain range was once a huge silver mining area. So it most likely came from some piece of mining equipment. And once it had been identified as a particular model, you can see how this does pose a bit of a problem for conspiracy theorists. I mean, it's one thing to accept that ancient aliens might use spark plugs, but probably not ones made by the champion spark plug company of Toledo, Ohio. And there was a big twist in 2018 because I mentioned that the artifact had kind of disappeared from public view in 1969. And then one of the discoverer's daughters, she did not want to be identified. What had prompted her to come forward is that she was really impressed by Strongberg's dedication to debunking the artifact, that she actually invited him to come and inspect it because she had it. Mm. She said it had been in the back of her dad's wardrobe. Her dad was dead at this point, And it was just regarded as a family curiosity. The family weren't at all. Family curiosity. This thing that disproves human existence and the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Just stick it in the back of the wardrobe. No one will be scientifically interested in looking into that any further. Well, it seems like the family had absolutely no investment in the idea that this was an upart, you know, disproving archaeology. They just thought it was something fun that their dad had found. And I think all of the attention started to get too much and then they just decided they weren't going to show it to anyone anymore and they weren't going to talk about it anymore. Mm. Anyway, so Stromberg went and inspected it in person and later that year it went on public display for the first time in, you know, 50 years. And I can imagine that that would be interesting to a lot of people because there's a lot of um, kind of latent belief in alternative archaeology. I was having a look at some of the other parts. I was really wanting to be convinced by one. The closest thing I could find was actually the Turin Shroud, which is kind of an part. I love that we're doing the Turin Shroud <laughs> the Turin in the Shroud. last 20 seconds of a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably deserves its own That's, mention yeah. in the future. <laughs> Leaving aside the whole question of is it a, you know, is it, yeah. a, is it a miracle? Is it Jesus? Sure. No, we know that it's not. It's been pretty conclusively dated to medieval times, but 
it is still not 100% settled exactly how the image was made. Was it a screen print? Was it charcoal? What was the medium that they, <laughs> the hoaxers <laughs> used to achieve this? <laughs> Tomorrow. St. Valentine's Day, one every bird cometh there to chase his neck. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.